2 Timothy chapter number 2, and I want to preach to you a message tonight about God and what He does for us. Now, you might say, well, preacher, that's awful generic. Well, yeah, but you can never, ever exhaust the goodness of what God has done for us, ever. And we could preach about it and talk about it all through eternity, and I'm convinced we'll never run out of things to say about what God's done for us. The book of uh, Nehemiah, or Nahum, excuse me, but the book of uh, Nahum, I believe it is, says that God's name is exalted above all blessing and praise. That means no matter what you say about Him, you'll never say enough about Him. And I believe we ought to speak up more about the Lord. I believe we ought to tell others what God's done for us and what He can do for them. And talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that when we're a vocal people, we'll be a vibrant people. And there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, anybody that thinks there is, if they'll spend a little bit more time in their Bible, they'll find out that it's not so. All right, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And I'd like to read two verses to you tonight. And I'm uh, really using these as a beginning point because this is going to be a, a topical message. I don't preach very many topical messages, uh, mostly expository messages. But tonight I want us to follow a certain word through the Word of God. We're going to go to a few places, but I'd like to use this as kind of a headquarters for it, if, if I could use that term. We're going to begin here. We're going to end here. Look with me in verse number 20. The Bible says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Let's read verse 21 once more. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the Master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, I thank You for each and every person that's gathered here. Lord, I know that it's been an effort to be in Your house. But God, I I just ask that You'd bless them and help them and strengthen them. Lord, I pray that tonight you'd give me the unction, power of the Holy Ghost in a way that would glorify your Son and His high and holy name. God, I ask that you'd speak to each heart and affect that which would most move them to a closer walk with you. And if there's one amongst us that's lost, show them their need of Calvary. Lord, we could never thank you enough for all that you have done. Lord, and plus all that you'll ever do for us. But Lord, we just simply want to praise your name for it and say it's all been of grace and it's all been of you. Father, we love you tonight. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. There's a word that's used at the end of verse number 21, or in the last phrase, that I want to spend a little time on tonight. The Bible says that if we purge ourselves from these, that we would be vessels uh, sanctified and meet for the Master's use. And the Bible uses the word, and prepared. Prepared. Now, most of us know what the idea of being prepared is. Whether we're prepared or not is something entirely different. But we know what it means to be prepared, uh, to be ready for something, to have made uh, proper provisions for something, or to have seen to a matter. And I began to think about this word prepared that's used through the Word of God. It's used around 200 times in the Word of God, the word prepared is. And I began to go through these references, and I just jotted down a few times. You know, it's good that we're prepared for God. We need to prepare our hearts, prepare our lives for the Lord. But tonight I want to spend a few moments talking about some things that God has prepared for us. 
Do you know that our God is a God of preparation? Now, you might say, well, what do you mean by that preacher? Or what's the relevance of that? Well, as you study uh, the time when Christ was incarnated, the historical context, you'll see that our God is a God of preparation. I mean, He prepared a world empire that would build roads for the purpose of taxation, that the gospel might uh, be easily taken uh, to the corners of the earth. I mean, uh, he, uh, we see all through the Word of God how that the political climate was shifting and changing uh, to make way that this taxation would take place and that our Lord and Savior would be born in Bethlehem, Judah, uh, in the land of Israel. Uh, we see how that God was preparing the hearts of people to be looking for the Messiah and everything fell into place. God was prepared when He sent His Son into this world. God was prepared for the New Testament church. Boy, I'm thankful for the local church. I don't know that we say it often enough. I don't know where my life would be, not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a believer. And I don't know where my life would be without the local church, but do you know that God was prepared for the local church? I mean, He made provision that the church might exist. And uh, He established and ordained uh, in the beginning apostles uh, for the work of establishing the New Testament church or seeing it uh, founded or carried forth or whatever terminology you might want to use. He provided those apostles for that time period. And after the apostles all uh, passed away, uh, He's provided preachers and uh, laymen and people to see to the needs of the New Testament church. It's a wonder, you know, you look at all the religious uh, tra uh, fads and trends that have come and gone in this world, but the local New Testament church has never, ever been completely done away with. The Bible says that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. God's made preparation and provision for the local church. But I think about my life as well, and I see how that God was making preparation in my life. Now, let me be very clear in what I'm about to say. I believe I had the choice in the matter. Don't you believe that? I don't believe God made me be saved. I believe God respects our choices. He may not honor our choices, but He always respects our choices. He may not be able to bless our choices, but He always respects our choices. And I could have rejected Christ, but I didn't. I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. But I look at all the things that God was bringing about in my life. He allowed me to be raised in a, a good home. I mean, parents are a little iffy, but, you know, a pretty good home, amen? And uh, they're not here tonight. It ain't fun to pick on them, amen? But allowed me to be raised in a church that preached truth. Allowed me to be born in a country that allowed the preaching of the Word of God. Even down to the minutest detail, I, I'm thoroughly convinced uh, on the night that I was saved, my parents were taking a nap. And I'm, I thoroughly believe if they had been awake, I probably wouldn't have got saved. Not because they would have stopped me, amen, but uh, simply because I would have been distracted. But there in the silence of my room, the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart and show me my need of the Savior. I, I mean, God was preparing me and God was preparing things around me. Most of you could look back in your life at the time that you got saved and you could begin to think of the hand of God that was upon your life and all of the things that could have gone a different way, but they didn't. Uh, right place, right time, right message. Everything was taking place in your life. God was preparing you and God was prepared for you. We have a God of preparation. I think about that word and, and there's three things that come to my mind that, that preparation denotes. And can I give them to you very quickly? Uh, to be prepared means that God is aware of our needs. He is aware of our needs. We pray and we ask God to meet certain needs, but do you know that when we pray, we are not praying to inform God 
of our needs. We're praying to implore God concerning our needs. We're not informing Him that we have a need. He knows that we have a need. There's nothing that we ask God for that takes Him by surprise. God always knows what needs that we have, and He's aware of every need in your life. If you've got something pressing upon you, and listen, I'm, I'm sure even in this small church building that's not even full tonight, there would be mountains of problems, mountains of problems and needs if we went right around the room and began to ask questions. Do you know that God's aware of those needs? But preparation denotes not only that He's aware of these needs, but that He's attentive to these needs. You see, it's one thing to be aware of a need, but it's another thing to prepare for it, to do something about it. Do you know that God is attentive to those needs? He hears and answers prayers. I mean, listen, I, I, don't, I think sometimes we take for granted how wonderful the God of heaven truly is. I mean, do you realize that even in fallen man's wildest imaginations, they can't even concoct a false God that even comes near how uh, blissfully splendid that the real God of heaven is? I mean, when man uh, concocts a God, he concocts a God that you've got to go through a priest to get to. Or he concocts a God that lives upon a moon somewhere uh, that uh, you have no contact with. Or he concocts a God that is merely just a, an ideal of nirvana or an ideal of reincarnation. Or uh, he concocts a God like the Hindus did that's actually 280 million gods all vying and fighting for supremacy. But the true God of heaven, uh, the, the Trinitarian God of gods, he hears and answers our prayer. Through the mediator and intercessor, the person of Jesus Christ, when you pray, listen, you're not praying to a human being hoping they'll carry a message. You're praying uh, to the glorified Son of God that's seated at the right hand of the Father and ever liveth to make intercession for us. We know He's attentive to our needs. He cares about our needs. Uh, but I think that being prepared denotes not only that you're aware of a need, and not only that you're attentive to that need, but that you're able to meet that need. See, that's really what preparation is. Uh, preparation is the idea of readying yourself against something. Do you know that God is able to meet our needs tonight? I mean, listen, if you've got a need that God can't meet, it's just because He won't meet and it's not a need that you really have anyway. Everything in our life that we really have a need of, God will meet. Uh, he is the all in all. He's the uh, one and only. He is our everything. And the Bible says in the book of Colossians uh, that in all things He might have the preeminence. He's able to meet your needs tonight. It's not just that He has a desire to. He has the wherewithal to. I mean, we serve the God that parted a Red Sea and it didn't even break a sweat. I mean, we're talking about the God that whenever uh, there wasn't enough daylight in the day, He just held His eternal hand to that body that called the Son. And just stopped it dead in its tracks. That's the God that we serve, you understand. That's the God you pray to when you pray to Him. I mean, that's the very God that, that brought upon Egypt ten plagues. That's the very God that sent a death angel and uh, slayed every single firstborn child in the land of Egypt uh, in a house upon which the blood was not applied to the doorpost. That's the God that you pray to. We have a powerful God. And let me tell you something. Prayer is a powerful thing. I, I mean, to bend the ear of the Almighty, Brother Ralph, that's a big deal. That's the kind of God that we serve, and He's prepared to meet those needs. Well, I want to give you a few things tonight, and I hope that they bless you. Some things that I believe God has prepared us, prepared for us. And as I read them, they kind of blessed me. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10 tonight. <coughs> the joke for corniest award, or uh, the award for corniest joke, rather, goes to the old... 
fellow that said, you know that God expects the man to make the coffee because he called it Hebrews. <laughs> and that's silly. Help us tonight. Hebrews chapter number 10. And look with me in verse number 5. Now, I understand when it speaks of him, it's not necessarily speaking of, of us. It's speaking of the Son of God. But this is still something he's prepared for us. It says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. Notice this, but a body hast thou prepared me. Now, this is the Son of God speaking, prophetically, that is. Uh, in the book of Psalms, I believe it's chapter number 40, these words uh, were uttered concerning our Lord and Savior. But do you know that that body that was prepared for the Son of God uh, when He was incarnated into this world uh, was a body that though He would dwell within it and though He would lay His life down, He was doing so for you and I. And I would say that the first thing God's prepared for us, and if you don't start here, there's no other place to start, is He's prepared for us a propitiation for our sins. The chief problem of humanity is the sin problem. There's no other problem that outweighs it. Uh, war is not as big a problem as the sin problem. World famine is not as big a problem as the sin problem. The AIDS epidemic is not as big a problem as the sin problem. Uh, world diseases are not as big a problem as the sin problem. A nuclear war is not as big a problem as the sin problem. When God dealt with sin on Calvary, He was dealing with the chief problem that humanity experiences. The sin problem is a universal problem. The Bible says that death passed upon all men and that all have sinned. Every single person in this world is born a sinner. And they're not only a sinner by nature, but they're a sinner by action. That's evident as you look around at this world. There's no shortage of sin in this uh, world that we live in. Sin is everywhere. It is the chief problem. And so God dealt with that problem. And uh, I know you've heard it a thousand times. I never get tired of preaching it, like I said this morning, so I hope you never get tired of hearing it. Uh, but Christ dealt with that sin when He died upon the cross of Calvary. He took the law of God that was contrary to us. The law of God that was in the way, and the book of Colossians says He took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. Uh, God is so wonderful that He didn't just give us a set of precepts to live by, but instead He superimposed the righteousness of His only begotten Son upon us through the act of uh, our spiritual regeneration when we accept Christ as our Savior. And that's all made possible because the Lord prepared a lamb for the sacrifice and a body for His Son. That body was a sinless body. It's interesting, when the angel is speaking to Mary, she refers to that body as a thing. A thing. That holy thing that is in thee. The reason why is because that body did not constitute the person of Jesus Christ. He was eternal. He didn't begin to exist at that moment. He had always existed. But whenever he was born, he inhabited that body, and the Bible teaches it was a sinless body. And it could only be a sinless body if it was to prepare, uh, be prepared for the propitiation of this world. Uh, the Bible teaches that he was born without a sin nature. There's some that would dispute that, but they have to dispute the Bible to dispute it. Because the Bible says that in him was no sin. Uh, that means that he had no sin nature. 
The Bible says that he knew no sin. That means he had no secret sins of the mind or of the heart. The Bible says he did no sin, meaning that there was no uh, sin that he committed. Uh, the Son of God, and listen, I, I know I've said it before, and it's not the first time I'm putting it on record. Uh, but I want to say that I believe that uh, Jesus Christ was the Son of God, God incarnate, and I believe he was absolutely uh, sinless and born of a virgin. I believe that absolutely tonight. You say, how can you believe those fairy tales? Well, you ought to try believing in evolution. That's a pretty big whopper, isn't it? I mean, the Word of God has stood the test of time. Mr. Darwin has rotted away in a grave. My Savior didn't rot away in a grave. And my Savior didn't get any grand revelations from looking at finches or turtles on an island either. He's the manifest and incarnate Son of God, the very Word of God uh, incarnate and revealed to humankind. And that's the God that I serve tonight. A body was prepared for Him, and a body was prepared for you and I as a result of it. That body was broken for you and I. And He said this very clearly. He said, take and eat, this is my body. When He was instituting uh, the Lord's Supper, this is my body, which is broken for you. It was for you and I that He tasted death. Not only for you and I, but the Bible says He tasted death for every man. And that He was the propitiation, the book of 1 John says. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And you can cut that however you want it, but it still means what it means. And you can try to believe that He only died for an select or an elect few, but uh, you'll never get around that whole world. He died for each and every one of us. We find that a propitiation was prepared. But I want to give you a second time this word prepared is used. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. You're not far away from it. And uh, I want you to look down in verse number 9 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9. The Bible says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Now, what a beautiful verse. I mean, you can't even fathom the things that God has prepared for you. And I would say that God has not only prepared a propitiation, but He has prepared provision for His children. Aren't you thankful tonight that we have a God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Aren't you thankful tonight? I understand that this is not necessarily just talking about uh, temporal blessings, but it's talking about spiritually the things that God has prepared, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Uh, but do you know that everything you'll ever need, God has already provided for in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, But my God shall supply all your need according to His, uh, the riches of His grace through Jesus Christ. Every bit of it is satisfied through the person of Jesus Christ, and it's incomprehensible. The Bible says that we can never sound the depth, nor the height, nor the width. We can never, though we may try and may try, they are the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you know what that does? That convicts me tonight. You know why? Because it tells me uh, what a shallow end of the pool that I'm swimming in when I could go a lot deeper than I am. I mean, it tells me, I'm not talking about this faith, uh, faith promise mess, or not faith promise, but this, uh, uh, this name it and claim it mess. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritually the things that God has provided for you and me. We could be going so much deeper than we are. And we could have a prayer life that really makes a difference. And I don't just mean makes a difference in our life or in the lives of those that we immediately know. We could have a prayer life that makes a difference in our community. We could have a prayer life that makes a difference in the souls of men. We could have, listen, you could understand the Bible in a rich and meaningful way. God's got it for you. 
The vast majority of people don't understand very much of the Word of God. We are living in a day of self-chosen biblical illiteracy. We're living in a day when men choose. There was a time when men were burned at the stake that you and I might have the preserved Word of God. And now we live in a day where we let it gather dust on the bookshelf. We're living in a day of this self-chosen biblical literacy. It ought to encourage us to go deeper in the Word of God. Don't read until something puzzles you and then stop. Read and when it gets to where it puzzles you, read more. Read deeper. Read longer. Study the Word of God. He's prepared great things for you out of it. This second-hand knowledge of the Word of God mess is what's gotten so many people in trouble. You ever wonder why it was that Satan went to Eve? Now, I want you to stick with me for just a moment. It wasn't when Eve ate of the fruit that all of humanity was spiraled into depravity. It wasn't when Eve ate of it. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, it was Adam's sin that caused humanity to fall. But Satan did not go to Adam. Satan went to Eve. Reckon why he did that, Brother Daniel? Well, I'll tell you what I believe, and I believe there's many reasons, but let me tell you one of them that I believe. It's because Eve was not created when God gave the commandment not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She wasn't created yet. And we assume that she got that knowledge, got that information from her husband. Now listen carefully now. I understand the Bible says that if a woman has questions, let her ask her husband at home. And I believe that husbands ought to teach their wives the Word of God. We need more men that will lead their homes in a godly manner. But understand this along with it. Your second-hand knowledge of the Word of God won't measure up to the first-hand attacks of Satan. It's good. I'm not saying you don't need to learn as a family unit. I'm not saying that the husband uh, shouldn't be able to lead in studying the Bible. I mean, that's wonderful. But I don't care who you are, a man, woman, or child, your knowledge of the Word of God ought to be a first-hand knowledge. God's provided that for you. God's made a way for you to be able to study the Word of God. What about the fullness of the Holy Ghost? Let me tell you something. Uh, I would say that, and you know, uh, you know, 95%, Brother Ralph, of statistics are made up on the spot. <laughs> but I'd say it would be dismally and abysmally low to know the number of Christians that are truly filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't let that terminology scare you. It's biblical terminology. Be ye not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. It's biblical to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I didn't say it was biblical to speak in gibberish. I didn't say that it was uh, biblical to claim to have the ability to faith heal someone. That's not what I said. I said it's biblical to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And it is biblical. And the vast majority of people have no concept of what being filled with the Holy Spirit is. It's this mysterious and unattainable state of spiritual bliss. When you know what it really is, it's to be so surrendered to the Spirit of God that you've been emptied of yourself And only Him and Him alone controls you and guides you. That's what being filled with the Holy Ghost is. means there's none of you and all of Him. To be totally surrendered and submitted to Him so that His leading is the beck and call of your life. Very few Christians know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. I wish this preacher knew more of it. I'll be honest with you. Can I? Can I tonight without you judging me? Can I tonight, without, without it knocking your preacher down a notch or two, can I be honest with you? I need to know more of it. I need to know more of it tonight. I need to know more of it in the pulpit. I need to know more of it in my personal life. Judge me if you want. I'm being honest with you tonight. I need to know more of it. I bet you do too. 
We all need to know more of what it is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't care who you are. We all need to know more of what it is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I could go on and on about the things that God has prepared for us uh, concerning the spiritual blessings. I'm not going to take all the time on it, but I could go on and on. We're living shallow Christian lives when we could be accessing the deep things of God. We see that He's prepared propitiation. He's prepared provision. But let me give you another one. Psalms chapter number 23. The psalmist made this statement down in verse number 5. He said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Could I say that God's provided not only provision, but protection for us? That's what that language means. A table is a place where you would uh, uh, sit down at rest and you would partake in a meal. This is typically not something that you would do in the presence of your enemies. Maybe Baptists do, I don't know. <laughs> you set a table before them, a house could be on fire, and they'd say, let me get one chicken leg, just one, Brother Daniel, just one. But what it's saying is this, even in the presence of those that hate me and desire to destroy me, God's given me a place of rest and refreshment and replenishment. And let me tell you something, we live in a world that hates Bible Christianity. You know why? Because they hate the Bible Christ. They don't mind this, this long-haired, hippie, snowboarding, Mountain Dew-drinking Jesus that's effeminate. That doesn't bother this world. But the Son of God that stands uh, under whom all judgment is committed, they don't like that Son of God. They don't have a problem. This world doesn't have a problem with Christ in a manger. I mean, every year they make more money at Christmas time than they will any other time. There's some businesses, they make more money, uh, so much money at Christmas time, they don't even plan on making a dime for the rest of the year. They don't mind Christ uh, in a manger. They don't mind Christ on a cross. Even the Roman Catholics celebrate what they call Good Friday. It ought to be Good Wednesday or Good Thursday, but they call it Good Friday. And if it gives you a three-day weekend, more power to you. <laughs> but even, uh, you know, it doesn't bother them Christ on a cross. And it doesn't even bother them, Christ, uh, up from an empty tomb. That doesn't bother them, right? That doesn't bother them. I mean, Easter is celebrated. Now, I know, I know, we are, we are so religiously tolerant today that we've quit calling it Easter and started calling it spring break. Some of you, when you was growing up, and I went to a Christian school where they still called it Easter break. And it coincided with Easter. Because we were celebrating our risen Lord. But you know that even to this day, they still celebrate Easter break. And listen, uh, once Easter comes rolling around, it's at the end of April, I think the 20th of April. Buddy, you better watch out. Chocolate, eggs, and peeps, as far as the eye can see. But you know, you know what? You know what this world, you know what this world doesn't like? This world doesn't like that, uh, and I saw heaven open. This world does not like uh, this uh, white horse rider. This world does not like this Son of God. Revelation chapter 19. This Son of God uh, with a name written on His thigh, King of kings, Lord of lords, with His vesture dipped in blood. Out of His mouth go the sharp two-edged sword. Uh, and it's the Word of God. This world doesn't like the judgment. They don't like Christ on a throne. That's when they start getting upset. We live in a world that hates Bible Christianity. And as long as you're willing to compromise your Christianity, they'll get along with you just fine. But you start taking a stand for Christ, you become a fanatic and a nut. But I'm thankful, listen, I'm thankful tonight that even despite the hatred of this world, God still prepared a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. 
There's nothing this world can do to me but what the hand of God allows it. We see that in the life of Job. Satan wanted to come against Job and destroy him. God set some boundaries on him. You know why? Because he's God. Listen, and understand my statement clearly. God is the God of everything. God is God even over Satan. I I mean, don't think just because Satan's a rebel, and he is a rebel, don't think that God's not still sovereign. God's still on the throne. And God can do with Satan as he pleases. And whenever Satan came before and said, I, I want to afflict Job, as thou considered thy servant Job, said, uh, is what the Lord said. And the devil basically said, well, if you put your hand against him, he'd curse you to your name. And God put some boundaries on Satan. And through the midst of it all, through 40 chapters of turmoil and confusion, at the end of it, the Bible says that the latter end of Job was better than the beginning. God prepared a table for Job in the presence of his enemies. We see this in the life of David. David running around the hillside, chased into caves, chased into hiding. There he is, the true anointed king of Israel, but he can't ascend his throne because this reprobate Saul is standing in the way. But oh, how many times that God preserved David over and over and over again. How many times, even when Absalom, his own son, took the kingdom from him, rebelled against him, God still preserved David because He promised He'd preserve David. And listen to me tonight. What I'm saying is this. Whatever you're going through, it's going to work out exactly like God intends it to work out. God's protecting us. And He's prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Not only has He prepared propitiation, He's prepared us... uh, Boy, this is going to be tough to say all these in a row, isn't it? Uh, Provision and protection. But look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 16, listen to what it says. As speaking of the Old Testament saints that by faith had put their trust in God. And he said, but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Could I say that God has prepared for us a prospect, a future? Now that's what's being said here. These Old Testament saints that have put their faith in God. What the Bible's saying is that God's prepared a city for them, a prospect, a future. The grave is not the end of their existence. He talks about them uh, at the end of the chapter being uh, sawn asunder, uh, being uh, stowed away in caves. And the Bible says, of whom the world was not worthy. And he's speaking of all these Old Testament saints. I believe it applies to you and me too. But what he's saying is this, despite all their suffering... God prepared for them a city, and they have a heavenly home. Aren't you thankful that the grave is not the end of things? Oh my, listen, if I believed in total annihilation, and I don't, I don't believe that in total annihilation, I believe you will exist somewhere eternally, either in heaven or in hell, or rather, should I say, either upon the new earth or in the lake of fire. That's really more biblical. You'll be in one of those two places throughout eternity, and you'll be eternally conscious throughout them. I don't believe in annihilation, but if I did, I could never preach another funeral in my life. Brother Daniel, if I had to look at people and tell them, your loved one is gone, you'll never ever see them again. I I couldn't stand behind a pulpit. Listen, I mean, I believe preachers ought to preach hell hot, but I'm thankful there's a heaven that we can preach that's sweet too. I'm thankful that though we may preach the judgment of God, that through the blood of Christ we can preach redemption as well. And we can tell people that the grave is not the end of things. It's merely the beginning of our fellowship with God Almighty if we know Christ as our Savior. 
God's prepared them a city. God's prepared them a place or God has prepared them a prospect. But I would say also that God's prepared them a place. You've read it before in John chapter number 14. Our Lord said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute now. Are we talking about the same thing or are we talking about two different things, Brother Al? God had already prepared them a city. But here it says He prepared for them a place. You know, I believe there's a different connotation here. There's been a lot of debate about this word mansions, and I'm not... I don't even, I'm like Tom Malone. Tom Malone, you say, I know a little Hebrew and a little Greek. You say a little Hebrew runs a laundromat and a little Greek runs a deli. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I, I, I have trouble with English, let alone studying other things. I understand that there is a connotation to this passage of the idea of many rooms in one dwelling. I'm aware that there's that connotation. And I understand it says, in my father's house are many mansions. I don't believe that God has a big apartment building in the sky. I don't believe God's running a condo complex. Some would believe, and I'll be honest enough with you to tell you that I kind of believe or lean this way, that when it speaks of a mansion, that it's not necessarily speaking of a physical dwelling, but you know the Bible says uh, this earthly tabernacle. Some believe it denotes the idea of a glorified body. And I would say this, whether you believe that it's a glorified body, whether you believe it's a physical uh, glorified brick and mortar mansion, whatever you believe about it, let me tell you this. The connotation is this, that not only is there a heavenly city, but if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, God's prepared a specific place in it for you and I. There's a place for us. I've always been blessed when I read Exodus chapter number 33 and God is speaking to Moses and God's getting ready to pass by and He's going to show His backside to Moses. And He tells Moses, He said, There is a place by Me upon a rock. Stand there. I'll cover thee with My hand when I pass by. Aren't you thankful that our God, He doesn't just have a place for us, He has a place by Him for us. He says, uh, if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto Myself. We have a God of fellowship. He's not only a God of fellowship in this life, He's a God of fellowship in the life to come. And we have the assured promise that God has prepared things in such a way that you and I, not only, I mean, listen, we'll get to have fellowship with Him when we go to meet Him. It's going to be a personal relationship, just as it's personal now. It's going to be personal then. You say, how's God going to do that with all them people? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not God. But I know that He's promised me a place by Him and that I would be received unto Him. He's promised me. That's how much God loves you and I. He loves us enough that He wants us to have fellowship with Him personally. When Christ died on Calvary, listen, it wasn't pity. It was grace. And there's a difference. It was not just pity, it was grace. It wasn't just God saying, I'm going to get you out of the mess that you're in. It was God saying, I'm going to redeem you and justify you and make you a child of my own. There's a difference between the two. He's prepared a place for us. But, you know, we come back to our original text. Now, I want to ask you this. As we've looked at these things that we've examined tonight, and we've seen all that God's prepared for us, I want to ask you something. How much preparing do you do for Him. 
the Bible says that if we would purge ourselves from these, and it's speaking of vessels unto dishonor, what it's saying, listen, anything in our life that might dishonor Christ. There's a lot of things in our life that we might not call sin necessarily, but we'd have to admit that they dishonor Christ. I mean, there's a lot of things. I've heard, I've heard people ask this question before, uh, especially going to a Christian school and growing up in one, working at one. I've heard people ask this question concerning ladies and the way they dress. Uh, they'd ask, how short is too short for the skirt? How low is too low for the top? And how tight is too tight? And it's funny, all of the places I've ever been in my life, nobody's ever been able to give an exact measurement. Do you know why? Because it's not about the measurement. It's about what dishonors the Lord. If it dishonors the Lord, then it's wrong. I mean, it's as simple as that. If you'd be ashamed for the Lord to come back while you're wearing what you're wearing, then it dishonors the Lord. That's true of anything. Boys, there's always a question with boys. How long is too long with hair? And I always kind of, you know, I always felt like if you rubbed their head and it didn't hurt, it was too long. But, you know, I'm probably a fanatic. I make up for it with the beard. <laughs> but how long is too long with hair or this or that? Necklaces, earrings, whatever it might be. Uh, weird colors or, uh, I don't know, face tattoos. Uh, your kids are weird, you know. What? <laughs> That's right, Brother Charlie. What, what, what is wrong? What's not? Well, does it dishonor the Lord? When people look at you, can they tell you're a Christian? When they look at you, can they tell there's something different about you? Does your appearance honor the Lord, or does it dishonor the Lord? And if it doesn't honor the Lord, Brother Daniel, it dishonors the Lord. One of the two. I mean, what about some habits that we may have in our life, or some places we may go, or some things we may allow in our life in the way of entertainment? You say, how do I know what's right and what's not right? Does it honor the Lord? Would you be proud if Christ came back in the midst of whatever it is you're questioning? Would you be pleased, or rather, do you think He would be pleased if He returned and found you doing whatever it is that you have in question? See, we ought to prepare ourselves to be pleasing unto God. There's some things in life that take some preparation. I'm always blessed by the folks around here that cook for our senior saints ministry. It takes a lot of work. I mean, it takes a lot of work to do that ministry. And it takes a lot of preparation. I mean, Miss Linda, if you showed up on Friday morning and said, well, I'm going to decide what I'm going to cook now, it'd be a mess, wouldn't it? It takes a little preparation. You've got to go out, you've got to shop, you've got you to peel potatoes, you've got to cut onions, you've got to uh, cut carrots, you've got to open cans, you've got to, uh, you know, you got to kill the possum and <laughs> boil it and get the fuzz off of it. Whatever it is, you've got to do that. It takes preparation to do anything worthwhile doing. Why are we so ill-prepared for serving God? I mean, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that when it comes time, we've got, listen, and I'm not beating anybody over the head, we've got revival this week. And I just use this as an instance. Some of you, some of you, five o'clock's going to hit at work, and you're going to go home, and then you're going to think, revival was tonight, and I missed it. It takes a little preparation to be there. It takes a little work to be there. It might take, uh, some of you uh, may have some other plans this week, some things that you're wanting to go do that might exhaust you and keep you out of the house of God. Listen, it's going to take some preparation, some planning for you to be there. And I've said it so many times, I'm a broken record, but you're going to have to be here on purpose because the devil will make sure you're not here on accident. It takes preparation for anything we're going to do. We don't just do it in a moment. And the more important the matter is, the more preparation it calls for.
And so I wonder how prepared we are for the Lord. Prepared to be used of Him. Prepared to be uh, in His service. Prepared. Listen, if somebody called you and said, I need somebody that can pray, would you be ready? If somebody called you and said, hey, listen, I need somebody that can get a hold of God for me, would you be prepared? What if somebody called you and said, hey, I need somebody that can work in this Sunday school class. I need somebody that can go pick so-and-so up. I need somebody that can do this, that can do that. Would you be prepared? Are we always looking for an opportunity that we might serve and please God? And would you be prepared if He came back tonight? Would you be satisfied with the way your life is? If God wrote finish on what you've done for Him, would you be satisfied with it? If He wrote end on your life, would you, if you never had another opportunity to win someone to Christ, would you be satisfied with those you've already won? Would you feel like you had told enough people about Christ? If you never got another uh, prayer through, if you never read another verse in the Word of God, would you be satisfied tonight with what you've done? For God in your life thus far. If you'd have to say, you know, preacher, sadly I'd have to admit I wouldn't be. Can I say to you that it's time to get prepared. He's coming back soon. It's time to get prepared. There's a work to be done. It's time to get prepared. And tonight you can begin by preparing your heart.